Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. I want to congratulate these dads that are here this morning because you started off Father's Day right by having your family here in church with you uh, today. Dads, we are on a mission. Fathers, we have a mission, and our mission is to save the world. And uh, that, how many knows that's a tall order, right, to try to save the world? And the reality is we cannot do it alone. We can't do it by ourselves. We need one another. And to be fair, actually it's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who does the saving, amen? Jesus is the one who does the saving. However, guys, we are his hands and his feet. And God has called us in, in a unique way to lead our families to Jesus Christ. So God has commissioned us to be those who would accept the responsibility to confront the powers of darkness in this world, to stand in the gap on behalf of our families and to be ambassadors for God's kingdom of light. Jesus is the light of the world, but we have been called to bear that light to others. Amen? To share that light with others, especially those of our own family. In fact, the mission begins the mission begins in your own home. The mission begins with your own children. So I'd like to say to you this morning that you can, dads, you can save the world, and it begins with your kids. It begins with, with your children. In Exodus chapter 1, we've already seen that the book of Exodus opens up with the children of Jacob, the people of Israel. We, we find them enslaved in the land of Egypt. You know that previously, while they were there in Egypt, they had been treated with courtesy. They had been treated, in fact, not just courtesy, but they had been treated with great kindness while they had been in Egypt. That was because of Joseph, uh, Joseph who had been responsible for their survival during a period of severe famine. And so uh, the, the descendants of Jacob, uh, the, the people of Israel, had enjoyed a time of peace and prosperity in Egypt where they enjoyed the kindness and the courtesy of the Egyptians while they were there. And in fact, over time, we talked about this a little bit last week, over time, the 70, the original 70 descendants of Jacob multiplied and they grew into a large nation. Then the Bible says arose a king over Egypt that did not know Joseph. Of course he didn't know Joseph because Joseph had been hundreds of years prior to that, to that time. But what that means is not only did he not personally know him, but he had no regard for Joseph. He had no regard for the people of God. He had no regard, no association uh, with what Joseph had done for the land of Egypt. So a king arose that did not jo know Joseph, and as a result, he began to oppress the people of God and, um, because he saw, them as a, he saw them as a threat to Egypt. Now, what we don't see yet at this point in uh, the book of Exodus is how God uh, was actually responsible for that change of attitude and how God was actually responsible for that turn 
of events in the nation of Egypt. We don't see that yet in the book of Exodus, but Psalm 105 actually makes it, makes it clear for us. Psalm 105, let me read these verses for you. Psalm 105, verses 23 through 25 say this. Then Israel came to Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord, listen, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. And he, that is the Lord, he turned their hearts, that is their foes, he turned their hearts to hate his people and to deal craftily with his servants. Why, why would God turn the Egyptians' hearts to hate Israel and to oppress them? That's what Psalm 105 says. It says, God turned Pharaoh's heart. God turned the Egyptians' hearts so that they despised Israel. They hated Israel and they began to oppress God's people. Why would God do that? Why would God change the Egyptians' hearts? Well, the simple answer is because Egypt was not their home. Egypt was not the land to which God had, had called them. It was not the land that God had promised to Abraham. And frankly, God did not want Israel to become too comfortable in a foreign land. And so he did what was necessary to make them uncomfortable in the land of Egypt. So he provoked Pharaoh into making their lives miserable and making their lives bitter. Now listen, make no mistake this morning, Egypt had been an important part of God's plan for his people. In fact, it was God that had orchestrated the events that eventually led Jacob uh, into Egypt. Egypt, was, Egypt had been, been for the nation of Israel. Egypt had been a land of provision. God had met their needs. God prepared Egypt and prepared, uh, prepared it for such a time as that so that it, the Israel could sojourn there and not be affected by the famine. So Egypt had been a land of provision. It had become a land of prosperity. God's people prospered while they were in the land of Egypt. They grew, they multiplied, they grew stronger and stronger. So it was a land of provision, it was a land of prosperity. However, Egypt was not the land of promise. It was, it was not the land of promise. And ironically, the great danger of God's blessings is that sometimes if we're not careful, we will form an attachment to the gifts rather than to the giver. If we're not careful, the blessings of God will cause us to form an attachment to the gifts that he gives to us rather than he himself who is the giver of those gifts. Therefore, therefore, God turned the hearts of the Egyptians against his people so that in turn his people might turn their own hearts back to him. You see, prosperity had made them perhaps too comfortable in a land that was, that was not their own. And so God turned the hearts of Egypt against his people so that his people might turn their hearts 
back to God. Now, I believe that we have much to learn uh, just from that this morning because as, as Americans, because what we have seen during the last several years, how many knows, is a dramatic shift in our culture in America. But what we have seen in America is a, is a dramatic shift in the hearts and in the minds and in the attitudes of Americans. Would you agree with that this morning? Their hearts have turned. Their hearts have, have been changed. A nation uh, that was previously, at least, um, I know some people say you can't call America a Christian nation. Well, uh, you don't have to call it a Christian nation. A nation that was at least sympathetic with, with Christianity, how many knows, now is openly hostile to Christianity, openly hostile uh, to God's people. And so that leaves many of us asking, what, what has happened? <laughs> what, what has changed? What has taken place in America? Well, I believe that there are, there are political explanations for that question, but there is only, there's actually only one spiritual answer to that question. And the spiritual answer is this. God is calling his people back to him. That we would put our trust, our hope, our confidence, not in the king, not in Pharaoh, not in any other power or institution, but that we would put our hope and our trust in God and in God alone. The question remains, do we recognize what God is doing uh, in, in these days. But you might be asking, well, what does all of that have to do with Father's Day? And um, I'm glad that you asked that. How many were asking that? All right. Thank you, Robbie. I'm glad. I'm going to answer Robbie's question this morning. Y'all can listen. All right. <laughs> um, well, here's what it has to do with Father's Day. We, we learn in the book of Malachi that the Bible says that a distinguishing feature of uh, what God will do in the last days. And I believe we're in the last days, don't you? And Malachi says that a distinguishing feature of what God is going to do in the last days before, this is how Malachi puts it, before the great and the awesome day of the Lord comes, one of the things that God is going to do before that day is he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That's a, that's a mark of what God desires to do in the last days. In fact, Malachi says unless that happens, the land would be utterly destroyed. If, unless God does that, Malachi says, then the land will be utterly destroyed. I want you to notice in Exodus chapter 1 how Pharaoh began to express his hostility toward the people of Israel. So Israel was in a nation that had become ho openly hostile uh, to them. And as a result, I want us to pick back up in Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse number 15. If you have your Bibles open, follow along as I read these verses to you this morning. Verse number 15, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of who, whom was named Shiprah and the other Puah, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. 
but let the the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. You see what, you see what the king of Egypt does out of hostility to the people of Israel, to God's covenant uh, people? He attacks the children. He attacks the children. And that is, we see it time and again, that's Satan's strategy is to attack the family because the family is the first. It's the It's the foundational institution that was created by God. It is, the family is the basic building block of society. And it is, the family is where God intends that truth be taught. The family is where God intends that values would be imparted. The family is where God intends that worldviews should be shaped in the minds and in the hearts of our children. And so Satan always attacks the family because if you destroy the family, you can destroy society, which is, again, that's what Malachi says, that unless the bonds of the family, unless the relationships between fathers and children, unless those relationships are restored, unless they are strengthened, unless they are healed, unless they are revived, then the land will perish. The land will be destroyed. So if you destroy the family, you destroy society. And can anyone, can anyone deny that the family is under attack today? family is under attack in the United States of America. It's been under attack for a number of years, many of years, many years, because again, that's Satan's strategy is he wants to attack uh, the family. What we see in the last several years, as I mentioned, is a dramatic shift in the attitudes and the actions of people against Christianity. They're openly hostile to Christianity, openly hostile to the institution uh, of the family. So the family is under attack today as it has, has never been before in the nation of, uh, of America. In fact, abortion is the most obvious and the most direct example of that. It's, it's estimated that since abortion was made legal in the United States of America over, over 50 million babies have been killed. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. Over 50 million babies. That's, an, that's enough to make even the king of Egypt blush. Um, over 50 million babies. Now, um, there's, there's some good news on that front. Um, I, the evidence is that hearts and minds are changing about the issue of abortion. Several states are passing uh, stricter abortion laws, and we should applaud that. I thank God for that, support that, amen. 
Uh, in fact, evidence is that abortions are declining in America. They're getting less and less and less. But now listen, when I say declining, that still means that over 600,000 abortions take place in America every year. It's unimaginable. Satan is attacking the family. Of course, abortion is not the only example of Satan's attack against the family. There's, there's many, many more areas, other fronts that Satan has attacked against the family. We may mention them uh, in, a, in a moment, but that's the one that has, that is the one that has the most direct correlation to the book of Exodus. That what the king of Egypt did to attack God's people in Egypt um, has a direct correlation with what we see happening in, in our own nation uh, today. What we need are more people like Shipra and Pua who will, who will stand up and who will oppose the culture of death. Amen. And take a stand uh, for the word of God. And notice how God honors these two midwives these two women. God honors them by giving them what? Families. He gave them families. And the Bible says, and the people of Israel continued to increase. They continued to multiply and they continued to grow strong. So here again, we see that families are the key to God, what God is doing. Families are the key to what God desires to do. Families are a blessing from the Lord. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Families are a blessing from the Lord. Families are a benefit to society. And, and strong families, strong families are the key to saving the world and saving our nation. So strong families, and strong families need... Strong fathers. Strong families need strong fathers. Notice here that Pharaoh targeted the sons. He went after the sons of the people of Israel. Why would, why would Pharaoh go after the boys? Why would he go after the sons? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, he wanted to eliminate, first of all, he wanted to eliminate Israel's ability to reproduce. And then number two, so he wanted them to stop growing, stop multiplying, eliminate the, the males, and you can get a handle on the reproduction. And so you can reduce the number of Israelites. So he wanted, he wanted to eliminate their ability to reproduce. And number two, he wanted to eliminate their ability to resist. Because sons grow up, they're strong, and they can join armies, they can band together, and one day they might fight the Egyptians or join a foreign power and fight against the Egyptians. So Pharaoh attacked the sons. He attacked the boys because he wanted to eliminate Israel's ability to reproduce. He wanted to eliminate their ability to resist. Without men, you can't have families. Without men, you can't have uh, men who would fight. Uh, and so Pharaoh targeted the men. And it's no... I don't, think it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that uh, masculinity is under attack in our nation today. Now, listen, there's a, 
There's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot of examples of how Satan is attacking the family today. But one of the things that we see in our world today is that men are under attack. Mas and not just men, but masculinity is, is under attack. In our culture, masculinity is under attack. And I'm, I'm here to say to you this morning that what we need is we need strong men who would lead strong families so that we can see strong families begin to transform our society back and turn people's hearts back to Jesus Christ. We need strong men who will be good fathers. Can I get an amen? amen. So we need some strong men who will be good fathers to the families that God has given to them. In fact, I want you to read with me. Let's go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verses. Just going to read three verses, the first three verses of Exodus, chapter 2. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, and the woman conceived, and she bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. I mean, there's a, there's a difference between a man. And a father. Not all men are fathers, even if they have children, right? What we need today is we need strong men who will also be good fathers. Amen? So that's the kind of men, we, you know, when I, went to, um, when I went to Kenya, this was many years ago, um, and I was going to preach on one of the nights of the crusade, the uh, uh, missionary took me aside and he said, now, he said, I want you to write your sermon, work on your sermon. He said, but one of the first things I want you to say when you stand up to preach um, that night, he said, one of the first things I want you to say is I want you to reference the fact that you have two sons. And I said, okay, well, why is, why is that? He said, because here, he said, they won't even listen to you unless you have sons. He said, so you want to work that into your conversation very quickly because that gives you some credibility, some standing that you're the father of, of two sons. I went on, I think I've told you about this before. And so the first illustration that I use, I said, you know, when I left Tennessee, I was in Tennessee at that time. So when I left Tennessee, I said, I, I hugged my son's neck and the interpreter looked at me for a second and there was a pause. And then he turned around and he said something to the crowd. And I asked him after, I said, well, what, you know, why did you pause? He said, well, when you said you hugged, how many knows that's something that's, we say as Southerners, I hugged my son's neck or I hugged their neck, you know. He said, when you said that, he said, I realized when I translated that for the people, it was going to sound like you squeezed your son's neck. <laughs> and that you were choking your son. Well, I've felt like doing that many times before. I'm just teasing. <laughs> uh, he says, so I had to convey that you loved your son and that you embraced your, your, your son. <laughs> uh, what I'm saying this morning is that we need men that will be strong men, but not just strong men, but that will be good fathers to their families. What God wants to do, I believe God can transform society if he has strong men that will be good fathers to the families that God gives to them. Here in Leviticus, uh, in Exodus, I'm jumping ahead to Leviticus. I probably will not preach a series on Leviticus, all right? So some of you are saying, I'm going to skip that uh, series. Uh, here in the book of Exodus, 
Um, there was a man who married a Levite woman, and they had a child. That man's name was Amram. He was the father of, of Moses. We don't know much about uh, Amram. Here's what we do know. We do know that he, well, that he was Moses' father, and we also know that his name means, Amram means, the people are exalted. The people are exalted. I believe that, that the people are exalted. The nation, a nation is exalted when we have families with strong fathers. Amen? So God, God wants men who can be strong. Can I read you some statistics this morning? I was hesitated to do this because I don't want to bore you, but I see that some of you are already bored, so I'll just go ahead and do it anyway. All right? <laughs> um, but I want to read you some statistics this morning, 25 facts on the importance of, of fathers. Now, listen, I understand this is something we take for granted, but it's something we need to be reminded of. In Scripture, the word father is found more than 1,100 times, yet in America it has become increasingly harder to find a father in the home. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million children, again, let that number sink in, 24 million children in America, one out of every three, now live in a home in which the biological father is absent. But according to social science research, this is secular uh, this is not Christians compiling this research. Secular social science research. Um, 25 facts. Uh, and each one of these, and I can give it to you later if you, if you, if you don't trust me, uh, if you want to. Each one of these are backed up by studies that have been performed um, by social scientists. 25 facts on the effects of having a father in the home. Number one, children living with fathers in the home tend to fare better on cognitive achievement and behavior outcomes. Number two, adolescents living in intact families tend to report closer relationships with their fathers. Uh, intact families. Number three, among urban fathers, those who frequently attend religious services tend to be more engaged with their children. Number four, close relationships between adolescents and their fathers are positively associated with adolescents' psychological well-being. Number five, adolescents with more involved fathers tend to exhibit lower levels of behavior problems. Number six, adolescents who report having more positive relationships with their fathers are less likely to engage in delinquency. Number seven, adolescents who report having more positive relationships with their fathers are less likely to abuse substances. Number eight, individuals whose fathers showed more involvement in their lives early on tend to attain higher levels of education. Number nine, growing up without a father appears to be associated with a greater likelihood of incarceration later in life. Number 10, father's religiosity is linked to higher quality of parent-child relationships. Number 11, Father's engagement in their children's activities was linked to higher academic performance. Number 12, according to adoles among adolescent girls, those who have a strong relationship with their father are less likely to report experiencing depression. Number 13, close father-adolescent bonds protect against the negative influence of peer drug use. 
Number 14, adolescent girls who have a close relationship with their fathers are more likely to delay sexual activity. Number 15, adolescent girls whose fathers were present during their childhood are less likely to become pregnant. Number 16, adolescent males who report a close relationship with their fathers are more likely to anticipate having a stable marriage in the future. Number 17, men who become fathers outside of marriage are more likely to be poor. Number 18, fathers of intact families spend on average more time with their children. Number 19, children raised in intact families by happily married parents tend to be more religious in adulthood. Number 20, children raised in intact families are more likely to have stable and healthy romantic relationships as adults. 21, intact families are more likely to provide a safe home for children. Number 22, adolescent girls who have never lived apart from their parents are less likely to report sexual abuse than those who have. Number 23, girls who have experienced a parental separation during childhood are more likely to engage in early sexual activity. Number 24, among teenage boys from those in, uh, from intact families with frequent religious attendance average fewest sexual partners. And 25, children in father-absent homes are almost four times more likely to be poor. You see, we... We need strong men who will make good fathers because good fathers make better families and better families make for better society. And so, Father, you can save the world and you can start right away by just being a good father, a good dad. In fact, the hope for our future may be in the child that you are raising right now. That was certainly the case with Amram because we know that his son was Moses. Moses was the man that God would use to deliver his people, Israel, from, from bondage. And we'll have much more to say about Moses later in this series on Exodus, but what I want to point out to you today is how much his mother and his father were responsible to preserve Moses for the eventual role that he would play in, in God's deliverance of the nation of Israel. These verses in, in Exodus suggest that it was his mother who took Moses when, when he was born and hid uh, Moses from those that would try to kill him and destroy his life. And certainly, uh, his mother was probably the one who was most directly involved in, in those, those details. However, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews points out that it wasn't just Moses' mother, but it was actually both of his parents that were involved in protecting Moses and shielding him from the danger of the king of Egypt. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
You see, it wasn't just Moses' mother, it was Moses' dad, too, who was responsible for preserving the life of Moses, the same Moses that God would then use to deliver his people, Israel. I believe that we've got, that we've got world changers that are living in our homes, dads. Do you believe that? Church, I believe we've got, I believe we've got world changers that are right here this morning. We've got world changers that are usually in children's church on Sunday mornings. The Bible says that our children are like arrows, and we shoot them out for the purpose that God has for them. Each one of these young people that are here today are world changers. They're potential men and women that God is going to use in significant ways in, in our nation and, and in our world. So, Dad, your first line or your first responsibility is to be a, be a dad that would protect your kids and make sure that God's purposes for their life is, are fulfilled because we've got world changers at home. Moses' dad did three things, the Bible says. First of all, he saw that Moses was a, um, depending on which translation you're reading, that Moses was a beautiful child or that Moses was a fine child. Dads, here's something you can do for your teenage sons today. After service, grab them and say, you're so beautiful. <laughs> and they'll pull away from you and say, oh, Dad, please, good grief, don't say that. <laughs> what that meant was when, when, Moses, uh, when, when Amram looked at Moses, he knew, he knew, here's a world changer. This child's different. This child, God has something planned for this child. Dads, you can start today to begin to see, and, I, and I'm not suggesting that you don't already, but I'm encouraging you this morning, begin to see your child for the unique gift of God that he or she, that they are. See them as a unique gift of God. How many, God formed them in their mother's womb God has given each one of these kids gifts and abilities, talents and skills. Several of them have already borne witness to the fact that they've been called by God into ministry, to missions, or to be. We've already got uh, those that have gone out from here to be pastors and music ministers. And aren't you thankful that God is using our young people? Amen. The That's right. Give the Lord thanks and give God praise. The reality is, is that God has a purpose for every one of our kids. God has a calling uh, in their life. So dads, when you, when you look at your kids, you need to see your kids as a unique gift of God. See them as God sees them. See them for the potential. You may not be able to see everything that is in front of them like God, but listen, God has their days mapped out. God has plans for their life. God knows how he's going to use that child in the future. You may not be able to see all of the details of how God's going to use them, where God's going to send them, and what they're going to accomplish for the glory of God, but you can begin to look at your kid and say, you've got potential. God wants to use you. God has put gifts in your life. God has put abilities in your life because he has a purpose and he has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for every one of our kids. Amen? Amen. 
So dads, it's your responsibility when you look at your kids to say, God has a purpose for my kids. God has a plan for my kids. The second thing that Amran did for Moses was that he protected him from those that wanted to do him harm. Dads, your job, your responsibility is to protect your kids from the influences of the world that would steal their souls and steal uh, their lives. A third thing that Moses' dad did was that he, he was not, the Bible says he was not afraid of the king's edict. Now, here's what I believe that means. I believe that, Mos- that Moses' dad said, listen, Pharaoh may kill me, but he's not going to kill my kid. Moses' dad was willing to pay the price for Moses to be able to live the future that God had planned for him. You know, too many fathers live their own life through their kids. I believe that what we need to do is give our life for our kids to live their life. Amen. The plan that God has for each one of them. Dads, what I'm saying to you this morning is that you can change the world. You can save the world. And it can start with your kids. Be the dad. Be the man of God that God wants you to be. See your kids for the potential that God has for their life. Protect them from the influences of this world that would try to steal their soul, steal their, steal their life, and pay the price so that they can pursue the dreams that God has, has given to them. Dad, you have a responsibility to disciple your own kids so that they can be the world changers that God desires for them to be. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.